Good morning. There are a few names that we need to add. Excuse me. There are a few names that we need to add to our sick list here, as there sometimes are. Uh, last week I gave you a few extra, and I didn't get a chance to get them to Bob. Uh, one is that Miss uh, Sylvia sent me a text message last night and said that uh, some of the friends of theirs that we had been mentioning um, have improved some. Sherry Mast and Bob Oliver have been on our list and have improved. Uh, the other person that's mentioned in your bulletin as a relative of theirs is Jonathan, but his last name is actually Gary and not Gray, and you can blame the preacher for that one. He said you shouldn't trust me with any information to try to pass along correctly, but Jonathan Gary was a relative of Bill's and, and has improved some as well, and we're thankful for that. I got a call from Bobby Moore yesterday. Her daughter-in-law, Becky Moore, uh, has been battling COVID and tested positive, and then they put her in the hospital yesterday. So Miss Bobby had texted or called and then request prayers on her daughter-in-law's behalf, Becky Moore, and we certainly want to, to honor that request, and we're thankful for the opportunity to do that. We are grateful that you're here. We're grateful for the opportunity to encourage one another. We hope that you're happy to be here as we worship. That's kind of in contrast to the van that I drove in this morning. It was a little bitter and angry in my van. Uh, we had about a dusting, you might call it, on, our, on the ground at our house. And then we got on top of the mountain. It's like we'd entered Canada. Uh, and there, I mean, it was white everywhere around us. And then we got over here, and it was like Florida. And, I mean, there was nothing but sunshine and a little bit of rain. And it was just completely uh, backwards from the way that we really want it to be. And so there's a little bitterness in my van this morning. But I hope that you're happy to be here. And certainly, as was prayed for and said in our announcements, we're thankful for the opportunity to worship together and to enjoy fellowship for just a few moments. You know, God created Adam. And ever since then... In the beginning, God created Adam. God has continued to create individual beings. But it's not good, as God has said, that man should be alone. It's not even good in the sense that, that man should be individualized, but God designed human beings, in a sense, to be in an organization, if you will, or in institutions, and to be with other human beings. That's why I ask you if you're happy to be here this morning. We're here to worship God, but we want to be together. And so God has encouraged us to be together in that way as well. In particular, you oftentimes may have heard the preacher say that we refer to the Bible and there being three divinely ordained institutions that we oftentimes talk about. Now, it's interesting as we think about these divinely ordained institutions, and we also think about human beings. Because God has ordained these institutions, but, but as is often the case, God is not always pleased with these institutions and the way that they function. He's not always pleased with human beings, but let's touch on those for just a few moments. Probably what's interesting to consider is the youngest of these is the church. The church is the youngest of these institutions, although that's kind of a little bit different as well because we think about passages like Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians 3 verses 18 through, or 8 through 13, Paul talks about that the church was in the foreknowledge of God, that God has planned the church from the beginning of time. And so in a sense, it's always been in God's mind. But when we think about the actually, actual divine, divinely ordained institution of the church and its foundation, it's the youngest of the three. Because we go in our Bible to Acts chapter 2 and we think about that great day and the church is made up of those who have been saved by Christ. Saved by faith, by grace, saved by the blood of Christ. That's the church. It began on, in Acts chapter 2 on that great day there. And so of the divinely ordained institutions, in a sense, the church is actually the youngest. But we also think as well, one of those being, number two, the government. We think about Paul's words in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So in a sense, 
the government is a divinely ordained institution because Paul would write by inspiration that we need to obey our governing authorities. And as we said a moment ago, God's not always pleased with sometimes the church maybe when the church is not doing what it should. God is not pleased with the government maybe when it's not doing what it should. But we go back in our Bible even as far as Genesis chapter 10. And after the flood, post-flood, we see that there begin to be nations. And so from Genesis 10 on forward, even into the year 2021, there is government. You see, we have problems if we think we can rule by ourselves sometimes. And yes, I know our government also has problems. But when we each try to do what we want to do, it helps sometimes when we are organized into groups or to countries. And we have a government that can lead. And so when God tells us to obey our government... He's giving his stamp of approval in a sense that there would be this institution that would rule over a group of people. But when we think about the divinely ordained institutions, the oldest of those is actually the home. It's actually the family because we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and we see the institution or the establishment of the home, of the family. Now in your bulletin, the title of the lesson this week is simply Family. But what we want to do is to begin a four-week study of the home and of the family. And we're going to take a few different angles and, and look at some different things, including this family of God, probably the last week of the month, the family of God, the church. But we want to consider what the Bible has to say about the home and about the family. Because if there are three divinely ordained institutions and the home is the oldest of those, then there's a good chance that from Genesis chapter 2 on forward through the Bible and even today, we should know how we should conduct ourselves in that divinely ordained institution. When we think about the home and the family, it is of great importance. And I would even submit for your thinking this morning that the family is under attack. You know, we talk about this in our world today. Some people say that, that our wars are not fought in the same way. Sure, we still have people go to battle. We have young men and women who go overseas and fight in a war and die. But, but a lot of times, the, the attacks today are not just about bullets and guns and ships. They're about disinformation and division that we sometimes have. And then by the same token, sometimes we can have problems when we attack simply the family, or as we're going to talk about this morning, primarily it's Satan who attacks the family. We're going to look at several statistics today as much as we can in a very short amount of time. But when we think about the fact that the family is under attack, I'll tell you that some of these are a little old, some of these statistics, but we know that in maybe it's possible that they've actually gotten worse. But, but in looking at some of these, some people will say that around 40% of children do not live with their biological father. Now, whose fault is that? Well, when we talk about families and the millions of families that exist and have existed upon the earth, there's not one person necessarily that we can just blame for that kind of thing. But it's true that when we look at children, many live and do not live with their biological father. As I said, there's different reasons I think about my own family. My father passed away when I was young and my mom remarried and I had a, a stepdad. I did not live for several years with my biological father, but that wasn't because of any fault of his, but it just happened. But certainly when we get up to 40% and maybe even greater, there are other things that are possibly calling that, that are causing that. Some people say by statistics that 30% of children do not live with any father of any kind. 
You see, I, I was, it was unfortunate that I lost my father, but I was blessed to gain a stepfather then who was able to be a part of my life and still instill some things in me and be a part of my family. But 30% of children do not have that male influence in their family and in their home. And the one that we're usually familiar with that we harp on a lot of times is that it's estimated that between 40 and 50% of first marriages will end in divorce. I read, and I forgot to include it in our notes, but, but I read the number of how often it is there are second marriages, and then how many of those end up in divorce. Our divorce rate's very high. There's no disputing that. And when we think about the family, the family is under attack, and it's because of things like this that show us that the family has been and is under attack. But that's the key. Let's think about that for just a moment. It has been under attack for some time. You see, we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, and the first family begins. Adam and Eve are there, and they begin this first family. They become husband and wife. And what happens? Within just words on the page of your Bible, Satan begins to attack the family. And so Satan entices them to disobey God, and they do, and sin enters the world. And we've got family problems. We go forward to Genesis chapter 4, and Adam and Eve are put out of the garden, and once they're put out of the garden, then they have children. And so, we think about a family being a, a set of parents and children. I would say that we can also suggest, and we're going to talk about probably marriage next week, that a husband and wife are a big part of being a family as well, just in and of themselves. But in Genesis chapter 4, after they're put out of the garden, they have children. And then, yes, Cain and Abel become a part of that family. And we see that the very first family had to deal with the very first murder. We don't go very far before sin has a hold of the family and Satan continues to try to attack the fundamental foundation of the family. So yeah, Cain and Abel cause problems or have problems and families begin to have problems. You go forward through the Old Testament and there's no shortage of families who have issues. Isaac or Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob, and his two wives, Leah and Rachel, and so on and so forth. We see that Satan doesn't stop with Adam and Eve. He doesn't stop with Cain and Abel. But we go through the Old Testament and see that these families continue to have issues. Throughout the Old Testament, that's the case. See, we don't have, a, we don't have the corner on the market in 2021. We don't have, we're not the only ones to ever face these things before, but these people have issues because of their families. But then we go forward a little bit more, and in Exodus chapter 2, we see that the children of Israel are growing great and mighty, and when the book of Exodus opens, Satan decides to attack the family again. He's not finished with his work. And so we meet a king, a ruler by the name of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh decrees that all Hebrew male babies be thrown into the Nile River. It's a little bit of a different attack than we sometimes think. See, we don't have a, a, a president or a country right now that, that attacks all young men of a certain age and under. And so we think, well, that, you know, there's other ways that it happens today. But yet here, a ruler decides to attack the family. Through the influence of evil, the influence of sin, he makes this decree. And Satan's not finished attacking the family. But we go all the way forward to Matthew chapter 2. And we see that Satan is not finished because there is a king, a ruler in the land by the name of Herod who hears that there is another king who has been born 
there in Matthew chapter 1 and in Matthew chapter 2. And so he makes a similar decree that all of those in Bethlehem under the age of 2, 2 and under, would be killed as well. And Satan continues to attack the family. And so maybe as we think about this, the truth of the matter actually is that today we don't have kings. We don't have kings in the same sense as we think about Pharaoh. We don't have kings in the same sense as we think about Herod. Maybe today we don't have kings who are telling us to throw our babies into the river. We don't have that same type of murder going on or, or issues with the government in that way who are making these kind of decrees. But you'd be foolish, and anyone else would be foolish, to think that Satan has stopped as of Matthew chapter 2 with his attack upon the family. Because he absolutely hasn't. He is still trying to destroy the family, even today. The point is, he has just changed his methods. He simply shifted maybe from the actual idea of taking babies and killing them, throwing them in the river, to some other things. And so, very quickly here, we have to go through it kind of fast, but I'd like to share with you something that I found a few years ago. And so, once again, these statistics are a little old. But I heard them from a, a professor at Fried Hardeman uh, who was doing a seminar at one time on the family. And he introduced seven significant changes in the family. These statistics are about eight years old. I didn't have room for them in your bulletin. You might have room to jot them down on another page or somewhere. Or, as always, this information is always open. I can share it with you anytime that you like. But when we think about the changes in our society, there are, are seven significant changes in the family. Number one, an increase in single-parent families. Now, again, I know you won't be able to see all of this, but you can understand the chart is trending up, which is the wrong direction here. That in 1950, there were about 7% of families, 7% of families in 1950 who were single-parent families. Probably, as we said, mostly for other reasons, maybe because of death, sometimes because of divorce, but other things. 1970, it goes up to 12, goes up to 22 in 1980, 28 in 1990. In 2012, it was around 37, and it was estimated when these stats were done that in 2020, it would be up to almost 50%. Again, I tried to, to do some research and dig into numbers, and it's hard to, to dissect all of that, but upwards of 50% of families in 2020 would be single-parent families. Number two, that there would be an increase in cohabitation. You understand that many people today choose to live together, male and female, before marriage or even outside of marriage. In 1960, it was estimated or calculated that about 500,000 couples were living together outside of the bonds of marriage. By 1980, that number had jumped by almost 3 million, 3.5 million couples who were living together outside of marriage. And by 2000, it was estimated that it was 5.5 million. And by 2010, again, an increase to 7.1 million couples who would be cohabitating together outside of the bonds of marriage. Some people say, we just need to give it a test ride. We just need to see how it works. But this is a problem when it comes to what God plans for the family. And unfortunately, this morning, we won't get into all the details of some of that as we think about it. We'll have to just touch on some of these issues, and we hope to cover them in the next few weeks. Number three, of course, one of the primary things that we see in our world today is the advent, or not the advent, excuse me, but the encouragement of the homosexual lifestyle. By 1950, it was estimated that 97% of people noticed were heterosexual, claimed to be heterosexual. By 1990, dropped to 
And by 2000, the year 2000, a quarter of people, 25% of people claim to be either bisexual or homosexual. And so we see this increase in homosexual lifestyle. And as we talk about marriage, hopefully next week, and we think about the family and what you already know about the word of God and what it says about the family, this is obviously going to continue to cause problems. It's a significant change, no doubt. And it's going to have ramifications for a long time, even if the trend was reversed right now, which it's probably, of course, not going to be. Number four, a decline just straight up in the number of marriages. Again, you probably can't tell all the numbers on the screen because they're so small, but you see this time it's going down, and once again, that's the wrong direction. In 1950, there was about 90% of people were married, and it drops all the way down to about 50%, 51% in 2012. And so people are, again, just choosing whether it's the cohabitation, when we think about that, or just this you know, relationship of some sort, there is a decline in marriages. Number five, too many births outside of marriage. It's estimated that uh, 44% were born outside of marriage. 44% of children are born outside of marriage. Of the ages of 14 to 17, 65% of young people are sexually active. And many of those have, on average, four-plus partners. Too many births outside of marriage. If you don't get the foundation right from the beginning then there's going to certainly be problems when other people are added to that so-called family. Number six, too much violence in the home. When we think about our world, and I'm not just talking about the video games that our children play, that may play a part into their, their mind, the problems they have in their thinking, video games and movies and violence. But let's think about the fact that four to 10 million children experience violence of some sort in the home. And of course, it's obvious that if they experience that in their home, there is a greater likelihood of the perpetuation of that as they go forward and they begin their own families. We joke sometimes about what we get from our genes and from our blood. You know, I, I got that from my mom or my dad, or my dad used to do that, or my mom used to do that. And sometimes that's encouraging. My mom taught me to cook. I, I learned how to cook. My dad taught me how to work on cars. He worked on cars. Those things are passed down. But we would be foolish once again, to think that something like violence is not passed down as well. And it's looked at by the numbers that a third of women are, who are murdered are murdered by their husband or boyfriend. It's real easy sometimes as we look at the news to look at our athletes and our musicians and our, our Hollywood stars and see that because they get put in the news. But as I look across the room, many of you are teachers or have dealt with young people in, in school and in places settings such as that. And you know... When they come to school and they come to places like that and they have a refuge from the violence and the arguing and the destruction that takes place in the home. And then finally, number seven, the family is just, of course, we might sum it up by saying simply dysfunctional. There are five major institutions. We think about the three that we mentioned just a few moments ago that are divinely ordained. But there is religion, of course. There's government. We've talked about there's education. There's the economy and there is the family. I would challenge you to look at those five that are listed there and, and point out something that doesn't have some type of dysfunction in it in our world today. Unfortunately, there are problems amongst all of these things. But in the family, there is simply a lot of dysfunction. I've had an opportunity over the last few months to take a, a cl few classes online in counseling, and the numbers are staggering. And, and the teachers talk about the importance of, of adding counselors 
to the world, people who can sit down with a family, with a husband and a wife or parents and with children and help them work through all of these struggles. But we look around us, whether it's the people we meet in the grocery store or the people we pass on the road or, I don't know if you've been to a baseball game lately or a basketball game, we meet the people in the sports world or the people who sit around us in the pews. We all have some dysfunction, that's certainly true. But sometimes, that, when we think about significant changes in the family, that's one of the fund, fundamental problems that we face. It's a lot of information in a short amount of time, but I hope that you begin to understand and think about some of the things. Because again, you, you notice those and you say, yeah, certainly seen that. Yeah, certainly seen that. I noticed that in this family that I know. I noticed that in this other person that I, I talked to. So what are we going to do about it? And that's what we want to talk about for the next month. I hope that you can be with us. As always, we continue to stream online, and these things will hopefully be on our YouTube page and Facebook page for you to view later, But if you're not able to be with us. But what is God's plan for the home? We really want to focus in over the next few weeks in more detail on a few of these, but let's talk about it in general for just a second as we think about our lesson this morning. Well, number one, what is God's plan for the family? Well, marriage, first of all, is at its core. That's, that's, that's the basis. That's the foundation. When you look at those things, whether it's two moms or two dads that we just talked about, or in some cases where a mom and dad are no longer together because they just can't get along anymore. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, and that's not the only place that, of course, we read about the principle, but we read God's plan for marriage. Marriage is at the core of the family, and it is one man and one woman for one lifetime. You know, we come forward and we see it even in the leadership in the church. We talk about our elders and we talk about our deacons. Do you know, do you remember that in the qualifications, in those qualifications, it mentions being the husband of one wife? Because a, a man can be great in and of himself, but he's better when he has a wife at his side, someone that can hopefully balance him out, that they can be of encouragement and work together. Marriage is at the core of the family, of the home, as best as it can be. When I think about friends that I know, people that I know, as I said, there are situations where a, a spouse, a parent dies. We can't help that. There are situations I even know of where one spouse, we sometimes say, you know, goes a little crazy, just loses their mind. They're not the same person that you remember when you met them a few years ago. And that just happens from time to time. And, and we have issues such as that between people. This is not just something that we can throw a, a blanket statement across and handle every single situation that occurs on this earth, but understand that when it comes to God's plan for the home and for the family, marriage between one man and one woman is at the core of the family. If you want to see a family that has it together, that seems to be doing what God would want them to do, then marriage is going to be a part of that. There's different routes we can go with that part as well. You remember in Genesis chapter 2 and other places where the Bible talks about that a man and a woman shall be joined together, shall leave their father and mother uh, there's, there's some principles there as well. When a man and a woman become one, become united in marriage, that's the foundation. That's the core when it comes to the family. But number two, part of the family, God's plan for the family, is that spouses become parents and they gain responsibility. It's summed up so succinctly and nice for us there in Ephesians chapter 6, that children are to obey their parents. And yet on the other side of that, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. There is a balance. Children are to obey their parents, but, but parents, 
Fathers as well as mothers have a responsibility to lead their children in godly ways. That it may be well with you, that you may live long upon the earth. And so when Paul writes those words there, he's trying to help those in Ephesus understand as he's also talked about the church. By the way, we quoted Ephesians 3, or mentioned Ephesians 3 at the beginning of the lesson. He talks about the divinely ordained institution of the church. But he goes forward to Ephesians 6 and he talks about the divinely ordained institution of the family. And certainly there's no requirement for a man and a woman to have children. Absolutely not. But when we think about marriage being the foundational principle, it often then springs forth. Be fruitful and multiply. Begin to have children. And those parents gain responsibility. You see, that's one of the key parts of this answer. Because as we go forward, so many young people and other people have children and then ask the question, what are we going to do now? Or how can we pass this off to someone else? When spouses become parents, they gain a very, very important responsibility. But then number three, those spouses, husband and wife, who then become parents, mom and dad, together with their children and together with God, have a foundation that is strong. Psalm 127 and verse number one, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the watchman, we think about the watchman, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. What's the key to both of those things? They don't connect, do they? The house, the watchman, the city. What is, what are those, what's the connection there? God is the key. God being a part of whatever it is that we do. And so we appreciate our men here who pray from time to time for us in, in the leadership position, our worship, and they pray for all of these ways in which God is to be involved in our lives. But whether it's watching over the city, whether it's building a house, whether it's the making of a home, not a house, but a home, a family, together with God, the foundation can be strong. But it is of the utmost importance that God be there and be a part of it. I sometimes say when I do a marriage ceremony that you know a marriage makes up three. You may have heard it said before. Not just a husband and a wife, but a husband and a wife in God. Those three together then can begin to be what God wants them to be. It's the foundational principle. You may have heard, as the home goes, so goes the nation. As the home goes, so goes the church. The home is the key. And we look around us and we see nothing but broken homes. And that's a problem. When we think about family, I don't know what you think of. Some of us, we say the word family and we get a smile on our face and it brings happiness to our hearts. Sometimes you hear the word family and you get a sadness about you. It means difficult, difficulty. It means problems. I don't know what you think of when you think of family. But there's no doubt that family matters. That the home is the building block for society. And when it begins in Genesis chapter 2 as the foundational principle, the first of the God-ordained, divinely ordained institutions, we know it has to be important. And so, yeah, we can blame the government. We can blame Hollywood. We can look around us and blame all kinds of people. But maybe it would help us if we look inward and think about our own life and our own family. I hope that you can be back with us in the next few weeks because I want us to really focus on ourselves. I'd ask you to bring your steel-toed boots maybe. We might step on a few toes, my own, my own included. 
But the point is, is if we do not fix our homes and our families to the best of our ability, you can't control some of your children who have moved out of the home. I can't control my family, maybe that I'm not around anymore, but I still have an influence. I still have a responsibility. May each of us resolve through these lessons to do better going forward, to have the right influence, to help people around us understand that if we want to fix our society, if we want to fix our country, we have to start with our homes. And that's really what we want to focus on in the next few weeks. You see, ultimately, if we want to begin fixing our society and our government and our homes, it begins with fixing ourselves. You can't help fix everyone around you unless you are right with God. And so as we conclude our lesson this morning and we sing the song of invitation that's been selected here, we're going to sing to encourage you that you would make your life right, that you would be the best that you can be by committing to God. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never committed for the first time by being baptized for the remission of your sins. We're thankful for the victory that is gained in Jesus. The opportunity to have our blood washed away by being immersed in the water, not the magic water, but just in the water of baptism. Immersed as Christ went into the grave, and just as He rose to walk in newness of life, you can walk as well in the light. You can rise of the watery grave of baptism so that the Lord can add you to His church. And you can begin to be a Christian. And then a Christian wife or husband. And then a Christian mother or father. But are you right with God? Are you a Christian this morning? Maybe you're here and in times past you've done that, but you recognize that there is weakness in your life. That maybe you've not been the best that you can be. And you've wandered away from God. We'll be singing as well to encourage you in just a moment if you'd like to come forward. Our elders are gracious that they are willing to come forward and, and talk with you for a moment. If it's of a public nature, we would love to pray with you and for you. We would love to go on your behalf into the world and say, this person is doing the best they can. They want to be right with God. We are thankful for the opportunity to remain faithful. And if you're here this morning, you struggle with that and you want to renew your efforts, we'll be singing to encourage you as well. Maybe there's something else in your life that's going on. Maybe there's the struggles in your family and you would like the prayers of this congregation to encourage you. We are thankful for that opportunity even now as we stand together and as we sing.